Welcome to Hallowed Be Thy Game. Hello and welcome to Hallowed Be Thy Game, the podcast that aims to bring you the feel-good stories that bring you back to the heart of sport. Every week, we'll be diving into the best goals, tries, set pieces and headlines from the week's sport in action. And with the help of a few special guests along the way, we'll be digging out some remarkable stories that show you the true power of sport. Coming up on today's show... We'll be joined by Olympic silver medalist, rowing world champion and former diplomat, Kath Bishop. We'll be reviewing the best stories from the last week's action, including Chapecoense's title win and the first female to officiate in the NFL Super Bowl. And I'll be testing Mark and Josh's knowledge on the laws of football in RefWatch. So sit back and enjoy this third episode of Hallowed Be Thy Game. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to play. Hallowed Be Thy Game. Hi everyone, welcome to Hallowed Be Thy Game. This is our third episode and coincidentally at this time of recording, it's also transfer deadline day. So yes, I'm Josh, your host, but also I need two more friends to help me along the way. So uh, I'm going to introduce now, first of all, uh, Nick Elliott, our in-house official. Uh, And Nick, here is your entrance music for today. That was Deutschland by Ramstein. Nick, the Chelsea fan, at the start of the new German revolution, Thomas Tuchel has taken charge, hoping to get the best out of Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Uh, How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's been emotional losing Frank, but um, yeah, our new gaffer, I think... He started well. Um, we haven't conceded yet. I know we're two games in, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with the boys. Well, let's bring in our second host. Uh, Mark Wakefield is with us again. And, and Mark, um, I'd like you to walk into to this. Liverpool unable to find the top quality transfers that they need. You normally associate them with 70 million, 80 million transfers for top defenders, but instead we're going right back down to the championship with 2.5 million transfers because they still haven't found what they're looking for. Mark Wayfield, how are you feeling about your Liverpool and their transfer endeavours? I feel pretty good, actually. Um feel like uh, Klopp and, Ed, and uh, the director, Mike Edwards, have done work their magic. The uh, the board gave them very limited funds and they've come back with two decent-looking centre-backs, hopefully a bit of stability, finally push Fabinho and Henderson back into the midfield, get the team clicking, and hopefully we can play a clip of you absolutely putting your foot in your mouth at the end of the <laughs> season when Ben Davies <laughs> is uh, captain in England at the Euros. Uh, and hopefully it's not me with my foot in my mouth when Liverpool are battling for the European League. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about transfers, though, it's transfer deadline day, so let's have a little dive into the transfer window. It's been an interesting transfer. There's only like four or five permanent transfers Mm -hmm. that have been made in the Premier League this Mm. window. It's it's a tip incoming, should I say. It's typically a hard window, but, you know, some clubs have done a lot of work. Uh, Nick, which club do you think is sort of done quite well in this window and and how have they done well? Well, um, I think for me, one of the top ones that um, I've seen is a loan deal. Jesse Lingard gone to West Ham. I, I just... Great business for United, that finally getting him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great business. United have done so well with that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesse, um, obviously he's he's... He's a great player um, and he wouldn't have gone to Man United if he didn't have that kind of quality. But I think for West Ham, they're in form, they're playing well and I think Jesse's going to add something really, really good to them. My personal favourite has to absolutely go to West Brom's latest edition whose name is unbelievably 
okay. Uh, uh, West Brom have signed up. Uh, midfield virtuoso. Okay, Yakuzlu. And I could not be happier uh, because I just really hope that he's... He, that okay is absolutely okay. That he's fine. Uh, I also think this could open up the door for a potential transfer. Uh, hopefully Sam Allardyce is on the, on the phone to Atletico Madrid. Hopefully trying to sign Koke uh, to form a an absolute midfield dynamite <laughs> that would be OK Koke. Um, so we'll just have to wait. You put your left leg in. You take your left leg out. <laughs> in, out, in, out. Back to the championship we go. <laughs> so, yeah, OK Yakuzlu, you're my hero. But thank you for having a great name. Yeah. <laughs> I think Brighton have done all right. They've brought in uh, Casado, who was being scouted by Man United, a young Ecuadorian player, so potentially exciting for the future. They've got Tao back from alone, who you know can now play for them. So they've been struggling for goals, but with their first home win of the season recently, and you know some strikers coming in, maybe they're now going to sort of like finally reach those goals. Mm. But I think when you look at it, it's, it's more about who's left. I think a lot of players have just been trimming down their squad. I mean, like Arsenal have just got rid of so many players yeah. <laughs> all for free as well. Yeah. In terms of actually permanent transfers, the only one you look at and say, yeah, I think that's a pretty decent permanent transfer would be Sanson to Aston Villa, I think. You know, that's yeah. the only first team yeah. signing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so far we are in the middle of, of deadline day right now. We're recording this at just before seven, so there's plenty of time for some more to come in. But you're right, yeah, Morgan Sanson really from Marseille, right? To, to Villas looking yeah. like you know a decent midfielder add, add to the numbers potentially someone to uh, fill Ross Barkley's boots should he get injured or when he heads back to Chelsea at the end of the loan yeah absolutely um, it yeah. seems like a good deal just going to mention about Maitland-Niles as well to West Brom another one yeah, um, yeah. I think that's I think that's a great bit of business as well I think uh, West Brom obviously they're, they're fighting aren't they at the bottom and I think these these two signings I think will help them out some young creative players to to hope, yeah, hopefully yeah. boost them up the table. Thankfully, mm. Maitland Niles is a little bit more than okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little bit less than okay is uh, Nick Elliott and his score predictions. Terrible week again <laughs> for Nick. Uh, Mark also had a bad week, but you know he, he did quite well last week. Every week we predict five Premier League fixtures. You get a point for the correct result, a point for the right amount of goals for one team, and another point if you guess the whole complete scoreline, so you can get a total of three points. Nick, out of five games, only managed to get two points, <laughs> along with Mark. I mean, that was, it was disastrous. It was yeah. When, when um, Liverpool beat Tottenham, I was thought I was on for an absolute winner because I was like, yes, come on. Like I was the only one who predicted yeah. that. And then it just proceeded to fall yeah. apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm just very <laughs> thankful for my week last week, but yeah, still falling behind on Josh there, not, not the one. Not the one. Yeah. yeah, to point out how bad you guys did, <laughs> last week's guest, Andy Kind, made a genuine prediction that Wolves would beat Palace 36-0. That was one of his predictions. Yeah. And he still got more points yeah, than both doubled us. <laughs> he got the same amount of points as us together. Um, which is just yes. embarrassing. So, yeah, uh, I'm pretty ashamed of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he was the only one that got a full, complete, correct score as well as he correctly predicted the West Brom and Fulham game to finish 2-2. But we actually had to, we cut this that bit out of the actual podcast, but in that bit, he was like, I really don't care. And he basically wrote on like a, a five-minute slagging session about both of them. And, oh, whatever, I don't mind, like 2-2. Yeah. Like he really he didn't it. care at all. The little, and he got the it. little snake. Yeah. I mean, these predictions are just another reminder to me why I should stick to refereeing. They really are. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not for me. It's it's like when um I mean I've had this a few times when I've been on the football pitch and there's a game on the on the pitch next door that their their balls come onto my pitch and it's come to me and I've I've got it in my hands and they've gone yeah ref yeah ref kick it to us and I'm going do I throw it or do I kick it and then I kick it and then it goes straight <laughs> over someone's fence <laughs> and then it's like yeah stick stick to refereeing Nick. <laughs> See, this game for me is like more, it's doing the opposite for me. It's making me think, maybe I should take up gambling. <laughs> maybe I should like start doing, doing. football accumulators. Because well, like, I'm, I'm doing all right with the prediction of these scorelines. You've got, yeah, you you got a point in every single game. 
which is pretty impressive. So if you look at the whole scores, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to average our scores. And then that means we can sort of like score on the leaderboard against each one of our guests. Because our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, we've got Olympic silver medalist, world champion rower, Kath Bishop joining us, which is a huge privilege. And she will also be trying to predict the scores. But it means at the moment that I'm at the top leaderboard with an average of 7.5. Second place is Mark with 4.5. Third is Andy with his four points. And at the right at the bottom is Nick with an average of 3.5. So let's see how we get on later in the show. But now (laughs) it's time for this. Dina Asher-Smith wins the 60 metres in Dusseldorf, equaling her personal best of 7.08 seconds in what is just her second competitive race since 2019. Sarah Thomas makes history, becoming the first female to officiate in the NFL Super Bowl. And Sheffield United stunned Manchester United to record just their second league win of the season. Huge headlines coming out of the US there. We have our very own official on the panel here. Nick, how important is getting female officials involved in the top level of men's sport as well? Yeah, I think it's hugely um, important. And I think something we're seeing in England more and more. Um, and yes, it's great to have these kind of these male dominated games um, in the, the, the top tier of, of men's NFL there um, and of men's football in the UK as well. Um, you've got um, Sean Massielis on the line in the Premier League um, and numerous other referees as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. so important, isn't it, to um, to not just do it out of a uh, and promote female officials out of uh, tokenism. Um, almost it's mm. it's important to to recognize yeah. their place in the sport it's great to see the nfl executive as well uh, troy vincent he said that it, w- it was because of her elite performance and commitment to excellence that has earned her the right to officiate in the super bowl as well like yeah, you know I love that she's obviously a very talented uh, referee that's able to sort of officiate well in this game and she's now getting you know the, the, the this awesome platform to show off what she can do yeah And then, of course, the other big news, which filled my heart with joy and just a sense of elation as Sheffield United batter Manchester United and destroy them (laughs) 2-1. What a game. What a brilliant performance. Beautiful, flowing football. No, no, all of that's nonsense. But a 2-1 win for Sheffield United, just a second league win of the season. Um, I mean unprecedented scenes great to see Lord Lundstrom getting an assist again getting him back in the points but um, yeah it's uh, yeah, awesome <laughs> stuff uh, and getting a second league win of the season and you heard in the headlines there about Nick's mention of Dina Asher-Smith's performance in Dusseldorf now mentioning Dusseldorf and Nick there it gives us a nice segue into the next section <laughs> which is our redemption story of the week now we are trusting him uh, to bring us a good genuine Actual redemption story this time, not one that he's fabricated from his FIFA 21 career mode. (laughs) The historical account of Matty Dubois, the fictional hero that has brought you into so much disrepute as a referee, Nick. So (laughs) it's time for this. Redemption story of the week. Yeah, that's right. Um, Our redemption story of the week comes from the Scottish Premiership. You won't believe it, but St Mirren have beaten Celtic in their own back garden. Um, 2-1 victory, and this is the first time that uh, St Mirren have won at Celtic Park in over 31 years. Um, What a place. I mean, Celtic and Rangers, they are fighting out of the top. Rangers still well ahead, um, but um, St Mirren, they haven't even, like, they haven't beaten them there in 31 years that is a massive redemption for them and they must be full of joy and iron brew (laughs) (laughs) if this had happened last year this would have been a huge huge story and it is great for them but Celtic have had a poor year in the year that they were hoping is it their 10th straight title they were looking for this year yeah looking for 10th straight I mean that that's one heck of a heck of an achievement Mm. to secure and it's going to be the restart button now because yeah, yeah. they have collapsed a lot. Yeah, to be 23 points behind right now 
Uh, I think it's 23, right? Like, it's ridiculous. They do have two games in hand, but even if they win them, it's still 17 points. Like, it's a massive, yeah. it's a yeah. mammoth task. Um, I think, like, to be have the title this level of done and dusted for Rangers is unbelievable. The absolute scenes it's going to be uh, when Rangers lift the trophy at the end of this season. Uh, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And I couldn't be yeah. prouder of my boy, Stevie G. What a man, what a legend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I can't take, don't want to take away from St Mirren though either because it's a brilliant achievement yeah. for them because, I mean, I couldn't name a single St Mirren player. <laughs> so, you know, for them to overcome a, a, a team like Celtic mm. in what is like a, a, a two-team league, you know, great job for the first time in 31 years. And to add to, add to that, I guess, obviously they play each other four times every season, don't yeah. they? So that's twice a year that they would have played, you know, 62 temps at beating them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also no. it's propelled yeah, so. them into sixth as well, uh, which obviously puts them in the top half of the SPL, which is, again, another massive achievement for these guys. And, you know, icing on the cake would be that was done at Celtic Park. Let's get it. Underdog Story of the Week. This might just be my favourite story we've covered so far on How to Be Thy Game. Uh, Alan Ruschel lists the Brazilian Serie B title as the Chapecoense captain four years after that devastating uh, plane crash uh, back in 2016. He was one of the six survivors mm. from the crash, one of three players to get out alive. Uh, I don't think many people would have seen the team, you know, getting back on the pitch, you know, very, very quickly after that. Certainly wouldn't have seen them gaining promotion in the near future after like such a traumatic impact um, like on the club losing so many loved players, uh, you know, let alone the mental impact of, like, that tragedy. Um, yeah, horrific yeah. stuff. And I really doubt that anyone would have seen a survivor from that crash back on the field, lifting the trophy <laughs> as captain yeah, just amazing. four years on. Like, that's unbelievable scenes. Yeah. And, like, when we're looking for the ultimate yeah. underdog story, this has to be up there. Like, no one would have seen this coming four years ago. It's mm. against all the odds. But Alan Ruschel mm. has defied those odds by lifting the Serie B title. And I don't think I'll be the only one cheering them on for even greater success. Like, this is such a heartwarming story. Hallowed be thy game. And we're now extremely grateful and excited to welcome to Hallowed be thy game, Olympic silver medalist, world champion and former diplomat, an incredible career, it's Kath Bishop. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Great. How are you doing and how is lockdown treating you? Uh, I'm okay, which is a sort of classic answer in that kind of tone of voice that means, you know, I'm hanging in there. It's not (laughs) ideal. Uh, I'd like to be in New Zealand on the beach at the moment. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, grateful for small things. Homeschooling is a Mm. horror, but, you know, hanging hanging in there, (laughs) hanging in there. Um, I've got to ask this question because I've always wanted to ask. I, I just, I'm really curious. Obviously, you know, you've got Olympic silver medal and, you know, you've got the world championship medal as well. Where, where do you store them? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I'm actually a little bit better now in that I know where they are. Um, <laughs> they're, they're in like a little kind of purse sort of thing in a drawer upstairs in a, in a desk. But for ages, they weren't. Particularly, like, a few years ago, I would do quite a lot of work in schools and things like that and and Mm. take them with me. So I wanted them out. I definitely never wanted them sort of up somewhere because then you sort of can't can't use them. People like to touch them. Um, And actually, my husband got really kind of, you know, frustrated when I began, oh, have you seen it? I can't can't find my... (laughs) And then he would get quite stressed at this and he'd be sort of rummaging around in a pile of papers and socks and things. And, oh, here it is. So I'm a little bit more organised now. Also probably so that, you know, no small children kind of can't run off or eat it or chuck it down the drain or something. Yeah. So I, it's in a little purse yeah. in a drawer upstairs of a desk. That's amazing. That's awesome. Great. Um, so, Kath, if we go back to the beginning... Um, and we think um, earliest memories of sport. Um, are there any moments that kind of pinpoint where you really began to fall in love with with sport or or with rowing? So growing up, 
I was not that sporty as a child and my family were not that sporty. I mean, a little bit of, you know, running relays at school, a little bit of netball. Um, No rowing happened where I grew up in Essex. And so I wasn't really kind of that sporty at all. And in fact, at secondary school, you know, I've got reports from my PE teachers saying, you know, Kath doesn't have very good attitude in PE and is distinctly (laughs) average. Um, so it really wasn't kind of <laughs> happening for me. But the, the, the one mm. really clear sporting memory I have is being absolutely captivated by the 1984 um, Los Angeles Olympics, where there were just some mm. legends and legendary races in terms of Daley Thompson in the decathlon, mm. um, Tessa Sanderson winning the javelin, obviously Ovette and Co. I mean, legends now, and this dates me, obviously mm. remembering that, but, you know, I was a sort of 11, 12-year-old. <laughs> Actually, no, I was just five at the time. No, no. Um, and, <laughs> and there was something magical about it. Did I think I was going to go? No. Was I imagining that? No. It was like watching a Hollywood film. You know, it doesn't mean you mm. think you're going to be a Hollywood star. I just thought, my God, this is gripping, compelling, captivating. Mm. And I always mm. became then sort of really interested in just following, you know, the Olympics, watching them next time around in Seoul. Um, and so there was something about the magic that definitely I loved mm. from a purely spectator point, uh, you know, in, in those days. So that's probably the time when I suddenly thought, oh, there's something magical about sport. Mm. So that's great. You you mentioned you mentioned there that your family weren't into sport, and uh, you've got a, a a book out at the moment, the Long Win, uh, which I've been thoroughly enjoying, and we'll, we'll chat a bit about that in in a, in a minute. Uh, but you mentioned in that as well that your parents they were like they were happy to support you doing it, but they they weren't particularly sporty or pushing you down the wrong direction. So how did you discover it? I mean, totally by chance, really. I discovered it at university, but I didn't intend to discover <laughs> it at university. And you know, I went to all these sort of freshers fairs and I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point in terms of hobbies and stuff. And I thought sport's probably not for you because it hasn't been so far. And those PE teachers made that pretty clear. <laughs> so, you know, I was looking at all sorts of things, you know, politics, drama. I wasn't That's sure. So I didn't really cool. sign up to anything. There was this big kind of rowing club thing happening. And they said, oh, you're tall, you should do this. But I thought... Mm, that's really full on. It involves getting up really early. That's definitely not for me. So I initially didn't <laughs> sign up. But about three weeks later, <laughs> lots of people I was becoming yeah. friends with were all doing this crazy novice rowing thing and loving it, loving getting up at crazy times um, mm. and talking about it. There was a real buzz about it. And I remember thinking, gosh, that seems to be really fun. Still not thinking it was something I'd be able to do. Um, and basically a couple of the girls who were becoming really good friends, you know, c- came round to my room one afternoon and said, you know, we've got a big, got a big question. We've got a big ask of you. Hear us out. We know you didn't want to do this rowing thing, but somebody's got injured in our novice crew and we need an eighth person in order to wow. do this race at the end of the term. Will you do it for three weeks wow. up to this race? And I was like, no, I'll be awful. Oh, you're getting up so early. I, you know, and I, all of this. <laughs> but they were really persistent and there was a bit of me that secretly really wanted to have a go and so in the end you know we went to the bar had a few more drinks you know oh go on then (laughs) and that was it that was it and it was life-changing and was I brilliant at first no but I totally fell in love with it and actually that's what I'm most grateful Mm. for it was a whole new experience of that person getting injured (laughs) yeah exactly transformed my life Honestly, I loved being on the river, being out, actually those misty mornings, the camaraderie Mm. that it's a different team sport from these sports on pitches that I'd experienced before Mm. at school, Mm. hockey or football. You know, you can opt out. You can stand on the side in the middle of the game. Once you're in a rowing boat, mm. you can't opt out. If you do, it's really new. Yeah. It's actually really hard mm. yeah, to yeah. jump into the river with these yeah. oars either side. It's almost impossible. <laughs> and that means that you opt in. You've got no choice but to try and move because yeah. somebody's going to hit you in the back if you don't move forward. So you start doing your thing and you're constantly trying to do it with the people around you because, again, you can't really not do it at the same time as them. And it's a lovely feeling to be in a team sport where you're trying mm. to do things your own best and t- at the same time as other people it's it's a really great feeling when that all comes together that's amazing so what what moment did you realize (laughs) with your rowing then that this was like a serious opportunity for you to achieve something special with the rowing Coming out of university, mm. my coaches said to me, what are you going to do now? And I said, oh, I'm going to get a job. That's the plan. 
And they said, well, you've got this potential. Um, you know, this is where your scores are. And they'd sort of started a little bit sort of towards the end of university. Have you thought about this? This is where your sort of physiology is at the moment. These are the levels you've got to get to. This is what would be required. And so I was like, okay, well, how does that work? You know, do, do you get paid to do that? No. Uh, right. Um, you know, is there none of these fancy talent pathways that you have now? Um, mm. So, I mean, if, uh, essentially I carried on studying and I had a grant, luckily, to sort of continue doing some, some research and studying. Um, and, you know, once they'd said, though, you have this opportunity, you know, I mean, it just seemed something that was uh, impossible when I was growing up. I'd loved watching this. The idea that actually that was something that, that was a possibility was so exciting. You just have to try it, don't you? You just think, mm. well, I've got to mm. give this a go and see where it, see mm. where it goes. Um, and so it was a real adventure, actually, to find out. I mean, mm. not easy because there isn't a lot of support along the way. But do you know what? That almost makes it more special because you find mm. a way if you want to. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, absolutely yeah. found a way uh, because, like, you know, looking over your career and success, like, it's one that just continued to grow year upon year upon year. I mean, first Olympics in 96, silver medal in the 98 World Championships, gold at the 2003 World Championships before getting the silver at the 2004 olympics in athens like can you just describe to us who will never be in the olympics although maybe i shouldn't say that because yours kind of came out of the blue so maybe if i keep my fingers crossed mine will too but archery how on- try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah how on earth did that feel like how did that feel to be up on those podiums? you know i've i've been fascinated by thinking about that before it happened to me and then reflecting back on it happening to me and you know what do other people think and how do people experience this moment um you know, it's a massive mix of emotions. I'd actually done really poorly and in, in the previous two Olympics, you know, I'd come seventh and then ninth. So I'd actually kind of gone in the wrong direction between the two. So although I'd had some world championship success, it hadn't happened at an Olympics and that had been heart wrenching. So to then mm-hmm. get on the podium in, you know, at the third time of, of trying, you know, was a mix of relief, pride, you know, just so many different emotions. It, it's actually hard to process. And it, it's, it happens, you know, in rowing, it happens about 10 minutes after your race. Mm. So you're still recovering and exhausted fundamentally <laughs> as well. Mm. You know, and you're processing it. But you're also yeah. sort of thinking, I don't know what, you know, if you're in a silver medal, you're thinking, oh, God, I was one off the one that everyone says is the one that counts, you know. They've done this research. <laughs> the psychologists mm. have researched from language and faces of people standing on the podium. They say the silver medalists are the least happy. Um, the gold medalists and the bronze medalists are often fairly similar. Bronze medalists can be really happy sometimes because they're so glad they didn't mm. come forth. They're actually joyous. Yeah, yeah. And gold yeah. medalists yeah, 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 then, yeah. sometimes gold medalists are kind of going, is that it? This is it? Mm. This this was supposed to make wow, my yeah. life great for the rest mm. of my life? So actually wow, it's quite gosh. interesting. And a silver medalist compares up. So they think, oh, I just didn't quite make it. But what does that say? It's nothing to do with the colour of the medals. It's to do with your expectations. It's to do with Mm. how you think of it. And actually, you know, it's the story behind Mm. getting that medal, the years before, you know, the highs, the lows, the challenges along the way, the moments where you think it's never going to happen, the failure at the previous Olympics. It's that bigger story Mm. that you carry after the podium that actually makes that moment special, but means actually something stays with you beyond the medal. You don't carry the medal around. You carry the experience, the story and that's really what i wanted to to write about in in the long win so our our podcast all about celebrating the feel-good moments in sport so looking back on your sporting career what was your personal feel-good moment um i mean i think there's sort of two aspects the thing that i loved about rowing one was the the feel of the boat moving on the water and, and the other was like the camaraderie the close friendships that went with that so for me it was like moments where we mm. we would often go to training camps to countries that had beautiful lakes um often switzerland italy um we quite often went to spain portugal and there's you know there were some real moments wow. where you're always trying to get a synchronicity between you and your crewmates that means Mm. somehow the boat kind of flies it takes off it becomes light a lot of the time you're working super super hard and unless it's completely synchronized you don't get that extra x factor of speed that's what you're looking for but when you Mm. get it it feels amazing Mm. so when you're getting some of those top speeds often in the summer you're on a beautiful lake in italy surrounded by the mountains that to me was like this is such an incredible experience to have i love those moments i can remember them in my mind um so that's probably you know the on the water lovely moment but I think the other sort of kind of sweet moments would be just 
you know, hanging out at training camp in your spare time, improvising, finding things to do, going for a walk in a different country and mm. coming across mm. crazy things, beautiful things, you know, and just sharing that with others mm. on this journey. So I have some amazing friendships from that experience. Um, and so that's probably the other aspect of what made it so special. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And uh, you've had like an incredible journey in sport and outside of sport as well. After spending 12 years as a diplomat, could you tell us about that? Um, what brought you down that path? How did that opportunity come about for you as well? So that was actually going back to what I was studying and what I was interested in before the whole crazy rowing thing happened. So before they knocked on my door and said, come on, give it a go. And then sort of 15 years later, I'd been to three Olympics and, and you know, sort of finally said, OK, enough with the trying to go backwards in a boat as fast as possible. Um, I had studied languages and did a master's in international politics. So I was fascinated that for me it was just something that I'd always thought was foreign policy is, is fundamentally interesting. Interesting. It's about human nature on a massive mm. scale. It often doesn't quite make sense the way the map is carved up, the way countries behave. And I just find it really interesting. So, you know, it's something I'd always wanted to do that I basically put on hold to go down the rowing route. And so I was just, you know, at some point thought, do you know what, I want to see if this door is going to open up or not, because I'm still really interested in all those things. Um, and so, you know, again, went for it, tried for it. And I was actually really impressed that they quite valued the time that I'd spent in rowing. Um, they actually, you know, in interviews and things, I thought, well, maybe, you know, I'm sort of not a graduate anymore, a young graduate. And, but they actually were very conscious about this is a, a people business. This is mm. about building relationships and understanding how to work in high pressure teams, whether you're negotiating, whether you're working with all sorts of different partners around the world. So I thought it was really interesting that actually I liked that mm. they kind of enjoyed the stories that I brought in interviews and things and said, yeah, you know, that's of real value for us that you've spent time doing that. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And we mentioned, obviously, you got this this new book out, um, The Long Win. I've really enjoyed reading it. It's been a real, a real breath of fresh air, taking on like a, a healthier perspective to the concept of winning. You sort of set the book up by talking about the current challenge of the, the binary perspective of like win or lose. And, and you mentioned being taunted by your coach with the question, are you a winner or a loser? And, you know, in there you reference uh, Olympians throwing the, their medals in the bin straight away because of the hurt that the journey has caused. You mentioned like Johnny Wilkinson waiting for the joy to hit him after the 2003 World Cup win. And it never did. And you, know, you also mentioned investment bankers on 1.2 million, like hating going into the office because they feel like they're wasting their life. And ultimately... You're asking the question, is winning, winning as we know it, all it's made out to be? Where did your desire to study this concept of, of winning come from? And, and what has that journey shown you? Do you know, I think I walked away from Athens thinking, OK, so I've been an Olympic row for 10 years, got a few medals, got a silver from the Olympics. How do I kind of make sense of that? How do I look back on that ferociously mm. intense, high performance decade you know, what, did I do okay? Did I, oh, I didn't actually win the gold at Olympia? You know, how do I sort of make sense of that? So first of all, it's a personal process of just trying to work out, you know, how do I make sense of, of all that time I spent in this pursuit of making a boat go fast? And then I sort of started to look around me and I just saw this obsession with winning everywhere. So I thought, well, now I'm done with Olympic sport. You know, I'm done with this business of winning at all costs and winning is everything and everything around you is language in that um, in that sense. But I saw it everywhere else. I saw it in advertising. I'm seeing it in films. I see it now in the businesses that I work with as a business coach and um, in leadership development, that there's this mantra that somehow we should all be winning. We've all got to be number one. And yet I also see it holding us back. Mm -hmm. There are so many champions around that, you know, you mentioned some of them there, who actually got to the top step and felt empty or depressed. I think well, that's not a picture of success that mm. I would want or that I'd want, mm. you know, the next generation yeah. or my children to look up to. So, you know, we st have started defining success in a really narrow way that's short term, that doesn't have that lasting value. And it's really setting ourselves up for, for failure, for misery to some extent. Um, you know, we make winning a moment crossing a line and you kind of ask me what what's it like crossing the line, but it's really the whole story 
you know, that that's what yeah. I carry. That's what I went through. It wasn't one second crossing the line. It was years and years and hours and hours of training that I learned a load of stuff in. When I went back after um, failing in the, you know, failing badly, if you like, coming ninth in the second Olympics, I knew I had a year out and I knew that I needed to have a different experience because the same thing could happen again. There was no, mm. no guarantee that it wouldn't. And I worked with a brilliant um, sports psychologist who asked me some different questions and, and really helped me to get my head in a different place. And so we talked about what will you gain if you don't win a medal? We want to, we definitely don't want it any less, but we also know it's quite possible that you won't win. And in fact, really good, dedicated people can come ninth. It's okay. Um, you know, let's not sort of denigrate that in such in the same way that we have. But what else can we gain from it? You know, managing pressure, you know, those great friendships, learning about yourself in lots of different situations, you know, creating these other gains within which you situate that um, pursuit of, of winning. And that made such a massive difference for me to be thinking about what am I gaining from this that I'm going to take afterwards into that diplomatic career, into the rest of my life. So it's not just all on one moment, which actually might not even happen if you're not selected or yeah. if you're injured mm. or if the event doesn't even happen, as we saw last year, yeah, and we don't yeah. know yet what's going to happen this mm. year. You know, then you're really vulnerable. There are so many things out of your control about the results. You need so to focus true. on your performance. Yeah. And that's what sports psychology has really moved towards mm. in the last kind of 20 years or so, this focus on performance. That's what we control. We can't control the outcomes. Gareth Southgate mm. talks that language all the time. He can't control whether you're going to win the World Cup or not. I mean, the journalists ask him. He doesn't answer what <laughs> success is in terms of getting to the World Cup final. He answers in terms of the team thriving, the team having the best experience, the team yeah. and the support team mm. being yeah, at their yeah. best. Because, you know, balls hit yeah. crossbars, referees make poor decisions. Those <laughs> are true. all out of your control <laughs> and could have a, a kind of terminal impact. So, you know, it was really this sense of, I think we're getting it wrong. Winning isn't even working for some of the ones that, winning, that win. Others are discarded yeah, yeah, along yeah, the way yeah. who've got huge value to add. Mm. Yeah. Nick's a, yeah, Nick's a referee, by the way, which is why he, he looked a little disgruntled. <laughs> I said sometimes. That's not true. Yeah, it's not true, Kath. Um, it's not true. Occasionally. Um, You're human. Aren't you human? My dad was a referee and he taught me when I was was I was kind of picking it up, he said, the referee's right even when he's wrong. Yeah. And you tell him that. <laughs> that sounds good parenting tip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not good refereeing advice at all. Yeah. <laughs> So the book is called The Long Win and that is ultimately the solution you propose and we've kind of been chatting a bit about. Could you briefly summarise the theory of The Long Win? So it is about rebalancing the framework we put around trying to get our best performance through having a clear purpose, a constant learning mindset that means we focus on what we're learning and gaining all the time regardless of outcomes and connection, that we really prioritise the relationships, the connections with which we can't be successful. And we therefore mm. would prioritise collaboration with others over competition against mm. others. Yes, that's brilliant. That's wow. absolutely brilliant. That would change change a lot of sport, wouldn't it? Change a lot mm. of the outlook. Yeah, that's, that's mad. I think it's starting to happen. I think if you mm. sort of see some of the social responsibility um, that is playing a much bigger role. If you see the Marcus Rashfords mm. of this world where, you know, he's motivated yeah. by something, yeah, you know, that's deeper and that goes beyond that can be combined with high performance. We tend to associate grassroots sport as doing the social change. Actually, I think there's massive scope for high performance sport to be involved much more in that. And we see it more in the US. Yeah. We see people like Megan Rapino who have mm. been kind of incredible, yeah. really yeah. inspirational figures in the mm. last period, as well as many others going back to Muhammad Ali. I mean, just lots um, of examples that I think there is real scope for for athletes to create you know, much more purpose around a meaning to the sporting journey that goes beyond medals that would stop us having this post-Olympic crash, the post-Olympic blues, you know, the huge efforts that, you know, the challenges of transition from sport into other careers. Um, if we actually are connected to something that lasts beyond the podium, then it helps the podium moment, um, but it also helps beyond. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a, a really enjoyable book. You could, and I, I've seen that you've obviously got a long list of commendations on the inside of the book. You know, from people like Claire Bolding and so on. You can, if you want to, you can add my name to that as well. Um, 
thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, about halfway through at the moment, but it's a really great book that really helps reshape the perspective on on winning and making a you know a, a lifetime of winning more than just like you say that that moment of crossing the line and how we change our perspective on that. Uh, so, uh, Cass, where can people access the book and where can people access you online? Sure. So the book is available anywhere you would normally buy a book. It's, of course, on any of the online shops, including Amazon, Waterstones, um, or you can order it through your bookshops if, if they are not um, stocking at the moment or if they're shut at the moment. So anywhere you would normally buy a book. And it's published by Practical Inspiration Publishing, so also on their website. And I have a website at cathbishop.com where you can find out about my work as a speaker and facilitator, um, consultant in leadership development. And uh, I'm at the Kath Bishop on Twitter, also on LinkedIn, Kath Underline Bishop on Instagram. Amazing. Well, Kath has also very generously agreed to stay around and play our football predictions game. Football predictions. It's now time for our football predictions. Each week we choose five of the upcoming Premier League fixtures and try and guess the scoreline. And our esteemed guest, Kath, is with us as well to join in. So, Kath, I'm I'm going to go to you first for the Sheffield United, West Brom, bottom of the table, header of what... I mean, I hope it'll be an interesting game of football, but I can make no promises for anyone. I know, it's a really tough one to call, isn't it? After Sheffield United doing quite well against Man U recently, but Big Sam has never gone down, has he, with the team? So... Come on. I'm, I'm calling it one all draw. <coughs> a hard fought one all draw. One all draw. Exactly the same mm. as Mark. Come on, yep. Yeah, I just, I, I, similar thing. Uh, I don't think, I can't see many goals in this game. I really can't. Um, I think, I think Big Sam will try and keep it tight, but I don't think they're, they're tight enough. They're not a Big Sam side just yet. Uh, they're still a bit leaky. Uh, but I also, I don't, I, I can see West Brom nicking something. So I, I'm going to go a 1 1, but. Uh, yeah, I think I don't think it's going to be worth uh, worth your your license fee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've also gone for a draw, but I've gone for two two. Nick, you're the only person that's actually voted for a win for someone. You've gone two one to West Brom. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, I think um, these bottom of the table clashes are going to be a bit scrappy, aren't they? And I think someone might just just pinch a last minute goal. So I've gone for West Brom to pinch pinch one in the let's say the ninety fourth minute, just for just for. <laughs> just for saying it um, so we'll see how it goes cool next one is Newcastle on a terrible run at the moment against Crystal mm. Palace who seems to be doing quite well I'll, I'll give you the scores this time first Kat so that you, you can hear how we've done so there's, there's, there's no you know advantage for, for us that way um, I've gone for a Newcastle win Nick's for um, a, a Newcastle win 2-1 he reckons and Mark's gone for a one-all draw how do you see this one going Kat? Oh, so this was the only one my son, my nine-year-old, was. he said clearly this had to be a Crystal Palace win because of the Newcastle poor run mm. he couldn't see changing. So I'm going 2-0 Crystal Palace. I think both Newcastle and Crystal Palace are two teams that you look at and go, I've literally no idea what could happen here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. either one of them Very could true. knock four goals in or they could concede four goals, like, yeah. every week. You yeah. never know. Well, let's move up the table to the top. We have a tasty clash of Spurs mm. against Chelsea, Cass. I wouldn't say this is top of the table. <laughs> I wouldn't say this is top of the table territory. It's, it's really hard to call. I think because Kane's out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, And I think Tuchel is going to start to have an impact. I'm going <laughs> Come on. 1-0 to Chelsea. 1-0 to yes. Chelsea. I've gone for exactly the same thing, Cass. Mr Tuchel... He's gonna he's gonna beat the Spurs, um, and I'm gonna go for a Marcus Alonso goal. I'm just gonna go for like the e- even more detailed predictions. He played a blinder the other day, and I hope he plays him again. Mm, yeah, um, I don't think Tuchel will lose, but I think it, it's gonna be a bit more of a different test than playing Burnley. <laughs> Seeing the lacklustre performance from Tottenham against Brighton, who were struggling mm. at the bottom without Kane, there was no link-up. Mm. Son looked a very average bit part player, um, as did the rest of the bunch. But Son's the one that particularly surprised me. I thought, you know, maybe, you know, you look at Liverpool. Marnie was out. Salah grabbed the headlines. I was like, oh, maybe, you know, Kane's out. Maybe Son's going to do something special. And they lost one 0 And I just think going up against a 
what looks like a very uh, tight Chelsea side right now. Again, very bit too early to call it properly, but quite a tight side. I can't see it, but I might be eating my words. I have, I did last week with all these predictions, so maybe I should just stop talking. <laughs> Let's go to what all three of us reckon will be the, the final top two of the Premier League. Liverpool against Man City at Anfield. Mark, you're believing in your Liverpool boys for a 1-0 win. Nick's gone for 2-2 and I've gone for a 2-1 Liverpool win at home. Cass, have you got any prediction or any thought about this one? I was, I'm toying between 2 all and Liverpool nicking at 3-2. So I'm going to be bold. I think Klopp will really get them ready for this one because it matters psychologically. And I'm a real fan of him and his manager. Mm. And I actually think he talks a lot of long win language. Mm. He talks mm, yeah. about focusing mm. on development, not just winning all the time. Yeah. And he focuses on values, on the value of the team. He's got a lot that isn't just on that on one result. So I like him. And so I think they're going to really try and pull something out. So 3-2, Liverpool. Three, Come two. on. Come I'm on. Happy with That'd that. be a great game if it's like that. It'd be an absolute great game to watch. Oh, the last one to predict then is another interesting fixture from two teams that could, do, could go either way in this. It's Manchester United against Everton. Uh, mm. All three of... Us have gone for a, a win for United. 2-0 for me, 3-0 for Nick, and 3-1 for Mark. Uh, Kath, what yeah, are your thoughts I'm, on this I'm game? I'm going the same way, 2-1. 2-1. Great. Yeah, well, Nick, uh, Nick has very boldly gone for a Rashford hat-trick on the uh, on the Google Doc. Yeah, <laughs> we're just we're going to go all out really specific again. Rashford hat-trick, 3-0 United, <laughs> straight down the line. And there's a part of me that hopes all of these players you've predicted will score are all rested and just numbered. <laughs> <Yeah. play. laughs> I'm such if a fan happens, of Rashford, and I know mm. that's absolutely yeah. not an original thing to say, but I do think <laughs> he's quite extraordinary. And one of the things that I found quite sad is almost a lot of football journalists looking to say, "Oh, he won't be able to do his career and mm. perform," mm. Uh, you know, and and have this other kind of piece of life-changing, society-changing activity going on and do you know what I don't think it's harming his performance on the pitch at all no, and I just no. love that and I'm yeah, really yeah. you know what is it that people almost want to bring him down almost want him not to um, you know not to be able to do both and I think it's brilliant that he can do both because I think he mm. is taking sport into the realm where it has real potential to, to change society and not just be about trophies and medals all the time so I yeah. really love yeah, what yeah. he's doing I think it's you know it's really showing that sport has much bigger potential in what it can achieve mm. absolutely Kath, it has been a huge privilege to chat to you on Hello Be Thy Game. It's been really insightful to look at your career, inspiring to see both in sport and as a diplomat, and now with all of your business coaching. So thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your thoughts as well around winning. Everyone listening, make sure you go and buy the book and check out Kath's website, social media, and get in touch if you want her to speak at one of your events. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me along. Great chat. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Kath. It's been amazing. Ref Watch. And we're going to move on to Ref Watch now, and I'm going to test Josh and Mark on their knowledge of the laws of the game. Uh, I've got two for you this week, like normal, um, and I'll give you a couple of options just to make it a bit easier for you. Um, so, number one, an opponent unfairly distracts a player who is taking a throw in by jumping up and down in front of him. The ball has entered the field of play. What do you do as the ref? Do you do nothing? Do you play on? Do you caution the offender and give an indirect free kick? Or do you retake the throw-in without any sanction? I think I know this, so I want Josh to go first. <laughs> Confident, <laughs> Oh, Mark. gosh, I don't know this. I don't know this. Um, <laughs> what would you do? Come on, put yourself in the ref's shoes there. I'm going to go with uh, C, retake and no sanction. Okay. I think I've seen this. I think I've seen this happen. And I think it's an indirect free kick. And I think that's absolutely absurd. <laughs> yeah, Mark, you're spot on, mate. Yes! Spot on. Um, Come on. I think that's absolutely, like, that's absolutely mental. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm really I'm fairly confident. I've seen that, like, on Match of the Day. Like, it happened in the Prem, yeah. I think. Like, a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. Come on. 
Yeah, so those ones, um, where there's no contact with the player um, or the ball, then we give an indirect free kick. Um, and it's a caution for unsported behaviour. So if you're trying to distract or unfairly like um, put off your opponent, then we would caution there for unsported behaviour. Um, you know, we use common sense as well, though, so you wouldn't do that every on every occasion. You'd think, but... wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number two, then. Um, and we're going to stick with the theme of throw-ins this week, um, because why not, okay. eh? Why not? Um, here's another scenario for you. A player throws the ball into the field, but he isn't happy with his throw. So before anyone else has touched the ball, uh, the ball has gone into the penalty area. He picks the ball up, takes it back to the sideline, and takes the throw in again. What do you do as the ref? Penalty, surely. That's what do you ball. do? You can't, you, can't, you can't retake. Surely that's a penalty. Right, I'll, give you, I'll give you three options. You get, number one, that you let him retake it. B, indirect free kick to the opposition because he's touched the ball twice. Or... Do you give a penalty kick? Oh. <laughs> you can't just say, I'm not happy, I'll do it again. You can't. Like, if that had happened with like the Perez penalty, he could have done, oh, I'm not happy, ref, <laughs> let me take it again. Like, no way, no way. So I, I'm well, going to stick. I'm going to say penalty. You're going to stick with penalty. Wow, okay. Josh? Okay, yeah. Well, we had indirect free kick into the last one. Mark said penalty, so if I go for penalty, then it's Oh, it's don't fun, play the numbers. <laughs> so I'm going to go... I'm going to play the numbers and I'm going to go for let him retake because the reason you're saying it is such a weird scenario <laughs> that I feel like it must have a weird oh, answer. Yeah, fair. That's a, you know, that's Brilliant. Um, well, let me give you some info. So if a player normally touches the ball twice, um, we would give... Um, so if he touched it with his feet, took a corner and then he's touched it again, you give an indirect free kick. So there's basically, for me, yeah. there's two outcomes here. You're either looking at the, the, the offence which is touching the ball twice or you're looking at the handball. And what we would normally do is we punish Come the on. more Come serious offence. So Come we on. would give a penalty kick Ooh! in this incident. <laughs> Come on, he well can't done, take Mark. football games, but he loads the bloody ref rules. Come on, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Come two on. out of two. Mark, spot on. Um, if you want to come and come and ref with 100%. me, mate. Well, there we go. There's ref watch for this week, boys. Hallowed be thy game. That brings us to the end of the third episode of Hallowed Be Their Game. If you've enjoyed it, please send us an email or give us a review on Apple Podcasts or CastBox or wherever else you download your podcast from and where you can leave a review, so not Spotify. But anywhere else would be great. <laughs> also, give us a follow on social media at hbtg.podcast. And the email is hbtg.podcast at gmail.com. But as ever, we'll always try and leave you with some fantasy football tips. Nick, have you got any? Um, I've played my wild card this week, gents. So um, that would be my tip. Get your wild card out. (laughs) Get your wild card out. Go for it. I've put in Pereira. I've put Eze in. I've put Cresswell in. I've put Callum Wilson in. I've also stuck Cavani in. I feel like he's oh. due a goal. Um, he's been, yeah, I know it's mental. It's a bit of a risk, but um, yeah, my my advice: play your wild card, get on with it. If you and if you're <laughs> less recklessly inclined and more one of the more careful <laughs> fantasy players, uh, then there are rumours abuzz um, that game week 25 and 26 will see teams blank and see some teams get a double game week. The teams with games in hand are City, Spurs, Everton, Villa, Southampton, Fulham, Burnley and Leeds. So some potential, you know, if you spy a Spurs, uh, Spurs Burnley or Fulham City, then you might want to double up on some of those players. Well, have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next week when we will be chatting to Meg Dias, who is part of the first all-female team to sail unaided across the Pacific Ocean. So we're bringing you back-to-back to incredible sports people who are nailing it with some feel-good stories. So have a great week. Find all the best things that you can in sport, and we will see you soon. Catch you later. Bye! Cathedral Media Group Production.